When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Come meet me at the museum with Alan and Daniel. We'll talk about the Cardinals all night long. Everyone, come gather round. Favorite sound, we'll talk about the Cardinals all night long. We'll talk the games and all the rest about the team that we love best. We'll talk about the Cardinals all night long. We're gonna talk about the Cardinals all night long. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Meet Me at Mutual. I'm your host, Daniel Shopdoss, C70 at the bat at C70 on Twitter. With me usually is Alan Medlock uh, from Red Dirt, Red Bird, and A Medlock one on Twitter. But Alan's got job duties again tonight. And as we said last week, um, it's that time of year where you're not going to see a whole lot of Alan, unfortunately. But you're stuck with me. And I continue to try to bring in people that make me look better. Um, because, And I bring in Brendan Schaefer. For some reason, but we bring Jim. <laughs> We're always good to have Brendan Schaefer. Off and rolling, Daniel. That's right. Yeah, you, know, I, you get them in out early. People, you know, people got to know what to expect out of this show. And, uh, you know, from Brendan Schaefer from KMOV, uh, he's on the radio at KTGR. Uh, Brendan, how are you? I am doing well, Daniel. It's good to be back on the show with you. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. And I, now, before we get into Cardinal stuff, and I want to talk a little bit about last year covering the team too but last year was a big year for you i mean you get the radio show and you become a dad i'm not going to ask you to pick between the two but <laughs> how are these things going how, how is your life these days well it's a lot it is kind of a lot and i i say that even though uh the baby was born september early september mm-hmm. so baseball season was still going on uh, if the Cardinals had had a deep run into October that would have sent me traveling around a little bit, that might have been even more challenging. Uh, I'm not saying I'm glad that they bowed out in two <laughs> games, but I, I didn't have to find out, right. you know, the issues that might have come around for that. So are you? Uh, is it, is this mean that spring training is going to be a little bit different for you this year? Yeah, I, I'm still looking to get down there, Daniel, but uh, probably uh, lesser period of time compared to what uh what it what it had been typically i try to go well we can have two weeks if i can looking to get down there for a week or so this year hopefully it ends up working out but yeah it's been wonderful i like i said it's going to be a little tricky uh getting into into the swing of things for baseball because you know that can be kind of time consuming but uh uh you know the whole thing is i I keep telling people like oh they ask how how fatherhood is i'm like well it's great but you've got some adjustments you don't sleep Mm -hmm. anymore (laughs) <laughs> and it's it's wild but then like you know as as parents you know this and it's just you you adjust to the new normal and then it just becomes what it is so that's kind of where uh that's kind of where i am right around right around now <laughs> and then the new normal always is an adjustment as well you know because my son is you know a few months from graduating now so um yeah you you always have something new is always coming up and you're always having to adjust but um, it's definitely worth it. Um, and then the radio, the, the job going well, uh, people still listening to you going well. I, I, I think people still are tuning in. We get some texts, we get some calls. Uh, it's good to be able to talk. You know, we talk a lot of Cardinals baseball because we're in mid Missouri, mid Missouri, they're, uh, out of Columbia. And so there's, there's Cardinals fans there, uh, talk some Royals baseball, but honestly, not a whole lot to say about that team most of the time. So we, we don't spend quite as much time on that. Uh, we do, but I do get my fill of like getting to talk Chiefs football, which I know you're a real big football guy, but Mizzou sports as well is a big thing for me. And so that's been cool to have another outlet to sort of uh, discuss those things with, with people that care to hear about them, you know, so that's enjoyable. Yeah, that's got to be fun. And, and it and it's, it has got to be a, a, a joy to be able to, 
broaden the horizons a little bit to to talk about those various things and not feel like you have to hammer on the same same topic all the time. Yeah, and you know, I still get sometimes people that maybe have, have followed me on, on Twitter over the years and know that I've been primarily talking Cardinals baseball baseball most of the time. I'll get people that when I make a commentary on Mizzou or or football or basketball or whatever it might be, they say, oh, I'll stick to baseball. And I say, uh, no, <laughs> I, even though you might think my Twitter account is just going to be baseball, but uh, I, I like to get into other stuff as well. And as you know, the sports betting content is real big and uh, you like to give me trouble for never getting anything <laughs> right on that. But uh, Sportsbook Review, the website that I write for, they they put out a tweet today that talked about how I've have had a wonderful week the past week yes. with my article recommendation. So I had the fact that that gets released on the same day that you and I do this conversation. I was like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta give some trouble to shop to about that. Like I'm, I'm doing great as of right now. It'll probably never happen again to have a week. Like I just had with those articles, but Hey, I can talk to you about it today and, and say, I told you so sometimes I get them right. <laughs> yeah. I, I saw that tweet. I wasn't going to mention okay, it. Okay, good. Um, I didn't but, tag you um, in it, but I, I thought about it. <laughs> oh yes. I, I saw it. And I, I, I'm always impressed when, um, you know, blind squirrels find nuts. There so, you go. You know, there it it's, is. it's very we're impressive when, uh, when that happens, but I'm glad, I'm glad that you were able to, uh, raise your record to uh, what about two fifty? Is it? Oh right? boy. That's rough. Hey, if it were baseball, that wouldn't be so bad. It's not all about batting average either. My slugging I mean, percentage is, is high. You know, you got to think about things like that. That's true. You're getting it. You may not get them all right, but you get the important ones right. That's what we're uh, Well, about, so. you'd like to think so, but sometimes it doesn't work out that way either. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about last season. It was a, a, a wild year. A, so many different things you could talk about from last year. But as you were covering it, what what kind of things were you going through? Because you come at this a little bit different than some others in the media. I mean, you, you've kind of grown, you kind of grew up with like Albert and Yachty and all that stuff as well. Yeah. So what was this like? Yeah, it was, it was really kind of surreal, honestly. Um, you know, I started covering the Cardinals 2016 season. Uh, and, and that really was something that, gosh, I mean, almost seven years ago, but that, that really did change my perspective. And so I, I view it through a different prism nowadays. But when I was young, I was a, a huge Cardinals fan. And I, I did grow up watching guys like Yachty, guys like Albert, guys like Adam Wainwright, you know, and, and the fact that Yachty and Wayno, they've been around since I started uh, covering the team and they've been around the whole time. So, the, you know, to see Yachty and, and you know, Wayno, obviously not his last ride because he's going to be doing that this year, but to see Yachty go out that was definitely something, but I never imagined in a million years that Albert would be part of that because Albert obviously was already gone to Los Angeles by the time I started doing this for a, for a job. And so I, I never really had those interactions with Albert, uh, you know, up close and personal to see him going through his day to day and, and, and have it from that perspective. And so it's something that I never expected that I would get to see. And in fact, when he came uh, through uh, with the angels in 2019, I wasn't even at that series because I was living in Texas at the time. And so I was just like, Oh, you know, that was always kind of a bummer. I remember watching it, uh, you know, his big home run as a visiting player against Dakota Hudson, watching it on TV from, from home in Texas at the time and thinking, man, that's so cool. Like, it's amazing. I feel kind of a little bit bummed out that, life circumstances had me miss that one. Uh, but then to, to get to see up close and personal, his last ride and to have it go the way that it did for Albert, I, you literally couldn't write a better script or a better story uh, for him. And then for me to get to see some of it was, uh, was really special too. Was that because, I mean, you always have to bring a little, you have to bring your objectivity to this. I mean, that's what you have to do in the media, not us bloggers. We can be uh, as unobjective as possible. Did that's he, what I like too about hosting a Mizzou radio show, because that's sort of a different, you know, I'm not a, a Mizzou beat writer, I'm a radio host. So I can, I at least can hold on to that for, uh, for Mizzou stuff. But yeah, when it comes to the Cardinals, it, it really is a different perspective, like you're saying. Yeah. So, so then to have Albert, you know, again, somebody that you're coming into, a very different perspective. Did, it, did yep. it challenge that objectivity a little bit? I mean, you just, it's hard to describe and people do all the time ask, especially when I tell them, well, yeah, I grew up a Cardinals fan and and they're like, well, I just don't understand how you do it. I'm like, well, I don't know. I, I It just is what it is. It's kind of like we were talking about with uh, becoming a parent and not sleeping the same way you once did. 
it's hard to really walk through step by step how it came to be that way. You just know that that's the reality of of your world now, and and you adapt to that. And so I really have almost surprised myself going all the way back to 2016, like just being able to to kind of be in that environment and know know how to how to be. And then it does get to a point where an exciting walk off happens for for the Cardinals. Like, yeah, that's really cool to see. But it's like you're feeding off the energy of the crowd almost at that point. Like you know it's cool because the people out there think it's cool, not because you need to stand up and cheer about it, if if that makes sense. Yeah. But when it comes to Albert, I mean, we can be honest, everybody was excited to see the special things that he was doing. And so would I go cover a game and, and hope to see Albert do something special? Of course. I think everybody, uh, whether you're a fan or you're media, getting a chance to then write a, a really cool story about that or, or do a podcast about that later that night because it was something that, uh, we're never going to see again. Like we're never going to see a guy of Albert Pujols caliber have the career trajectory that he did and then get to come back to the place where it all began after everybody sort of thinks, eh, he's kind of over with, he's washed up that, you know, this is just sort of sentimentality to get him back in St. Louis, make everybody feel good and then have the finish that he did. Like it's, it's storybook stuff. And so, yeah, I mean, I was digging it just like everybody else was, you know, yeah. th- that's, you don't stand up and cheer about it in the press box, but when you're seeing those things, it's hard not to kind of get wrapped up in, in the emotion of what it means. Yeah. You're kind of living vicariously though, through those who are out there cheering about it because you just recognize how special it is for everybody in the building. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, you're seeing, I mean, you see something to do at the ballpark every day, you see history and there's, we like to throw around, well, you never see this again. And, and it's probably true, but you know, there's a really strong chance you'll never write a story about a 700 home run hitter again. Right. I mean, right. that's just, yeah. That is just doesn't happen. Even if there is another one, the odds of them, you know, being around the St. Louis area are, are slim, um, especially because they might cost money. Um, and so, you know, to have that opportunity is is pretty cool, I would think. Yeah, I mean, it it is. And you're right. Like that sort of language does come up a lot where you say, oh, this is unprecedented. This is never going to happen again. I think it's pretty safe to say that about the things that Albert Pujols <laughs> did last year. And the backdrop of him having the career that he did. I mean, St. Louis got all the best of Albert Pujols. And the minute he leaves, it started to decline. He had a pretty good year in 2012 with the Angels. But even then, it wasn't what it had been previously. Mm -hmm. And so he goes through that entire trajectory. It looks like he's maybe about done. The Angels don't want him anymore. You know, going back to the previous season to where it's like, hey, with the Cardinals, could he finish up in St. Louis? And I almost think it was better. I mean, obviously, in retrospect, we can say that it was, but it worked out really well in that, like, he goes to the Dodgers, and it's almost like they unlocked a little bit of something from him where he was then crushing lefties specifically, and they were using him in that role. And and the Cardinals, I think that kind of gave St. Louis the blueprint for, okay, here's maybe how we're going to try to use him. And in the first half of the season, it was so-so. Like, he wasn't terrible, but it was honestly exactly what you expected it to be prior to the All-Star break. Like, yeah, you know, he's 40-some-odd years old. He's he's had the decline. He's going to give you a few special moments. He makes sense to play against lefties, but you're probably going to limit it to that. And I don't know, man, whatever happened at the All-Star break, he he kind of, I think that recharged him a little bit, and he had enough juice left in those batteries to get him through the end of the season and uh, to, to do something that, again, I feel confident in saying we don't see anything like that uh, very often in baseball or in sports in general because it was it was that special of a thing. And, and I hope people were able to sort of take it in and realize at the time how special it was. Like we talk about it, we talk it all up, but I really hope that Cardinals fans, I know I tried my best to do it to like, yeah, get sucked up into the moment and experience that because it is, it is probably one of those once in a lifetime sort of deals. And then, you know, all that aside, then you get to also see him, you know, make a pitching debut early on in the year. I mean, and, and then to see Yadier Molina as well, throw on the mound. I mean, you, you look at all the stories between those guys you have you know mvp and mvp runner-up uh or you know third place finish um you have adam wainwright doing adam wainwright things um it was just a a full year of stuff that you just i mean it's just, it's kind of like you could take one or two of those pieces and say it was a pretty good year but you put it all together and it, it's a year that's hard to top even though the end of it was so blah yeah, and I mean, you're right. The way that it ended wasn't what we wanted, and I'm sure we'll get into into that and sort of the dynamic of some of that stuff. But there was enough during the season that you 
you knew it was special. And maybe there was a part of, of folks that was like, hey, we know this feels so special that it almost feels like it can't end in a disappointing way early. Like mm-hmm. this is about to be a long run in October. I sort of felt like it was going to be from my perspective as well. And, and obviously some things happened that, that it didn't end up going that way. But I don't think it diminishes the the nature of what the season was through so many layers, as you mentioned. And also, like you can even talk about in the throes of the unfortunate way that it ended you still get Albert Pujols, Yadier Molina getting a base hit in their final ever at bat. Like, it's, like even then, even in the moment of like, oh, this isn't going the right way, you still have those guys coming through just in the way that you always kind of figured that they would. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, all that all that happens under a new manager. Um, were you surprised at how well Ali Marmol seemed to be able to handle all this stuff that came his way that was maybe not your normal baseball stuff? It honestly wasn't. Uh, And from like spring training, the way he adapted to the new role, I could tell he was going to be good in it. And, you know, Ali had been around as the bench coach previously, but it's always different to see how a guy reacts in when he's in that chair in the manager job. And from the beginning, it was like, okay, yeah, he's going to be aces at this. And I think, just his ability and the emphasis that he puts on communication. He's a really good communicator. He understands the importance of good communication, and that ends up showing through in in, in the, the way he does his job. So I think just the fact that he has a really good finger on the pulse of the way some of those things work and to know, like, okay, you've got some legends on this team. You're trying to balance that whole situation with having a winning team and ushering along some young guys. Like, I think I, I, I think for the way it ended for Mike Schilt, a lot of people were surprised at the way that went down, and, and so was I initially, right? But, like, now that we have had a year to look back on it, you go, you know, Ali Marmel was going to be a manager in this league, and I think the Cardinals are fortunate that they facilitated him being a manager of this franchise because I think he's going to be around here for a long time. And if you don't, do things the way that you did them at the end of last season, talking about 2021, you you don't end up retaining Ollie Marmel in that role. And, uh, you know, the chips fell where they did. And I think the Cardinals are in a good spot for it. Ollie had a great year. He really did. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was impressive to see him come out. And I, again, I knew that the Cardinals were very high on him and from, you know, just the fact that they converted him into coaching after his playing days, um, it tells you one thing. Um, yeah, for sure. Up like that. Um, it was pr- pretty impressive. So, um, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's been fun to actually see him, how he's done this early on and we'll see how, how that continues to go as he hits a little, maybe, maybe a little bit more normal of a year this year. Um, we don't really need to talk about the postseason because, you know, that was so, <laughs> so brief. I was wondering if you were going to ask about it at all, or if you just want to kind of gloss over, it. I, I, I can say this one thing about it, and then we can kind of move on to what you had next plan, Daniel. I, I feel like a lot of people maybe are overreacting a little bit to the way that it ended because it, it really did. It, it stunk. It was not It was not good. The team had the talent to go further than they did. Uh, and, and I feel like, though, a lot of the conversation now is, and some of it I agree with, some of it I don't agree with, but but the the, the narrative right now sort of seems to be, like to keep up with the Dodgers and the Metses and the, you know, all the teams that are spending big and all this stuff, which is, it matters. And the Cardinals model is kind of, I think a little bit behind on that. And I don't know how willing they are to adapt to what some of those other teams are doing. Cardinals, especially over the weekend at winter warmup, Bill DeWitt sort of seemed to say, Hey, they're going to do it this way. And we're going to kind of continue to stay in the lane that we've been in. And we think that's a, a good lane to be in. And we believe in, the way we develop talent and, and the way we supplement our roster. And we think that's going to be enough. But like you look at the fact that they haven't had much postseason success, uh, you know, since 2014, they, they advanced in 2019 to the NLCS, but didn't do anything once they got there. And then quick exits in 2021 20, and 22. So that's sort of like the lens through which I think everybody's looking at this thing. But honestly, if you just want to boil it down to 2022 in that postseason, it was such a fluke. Like yeah. just an absolute fluke to go out the way that they did. If Ryan Helsley doesn't, you know, try to brace himself on a Tuesday in Pittsburgh on a ball that, that comes back to him, the Cardinals probably advance at least to the division series and, and maybe beyond that. Because that first game one, 
They win that game if Ryan Helsley's finger is feeling like it's supposed to. The game plan was everything that it needed to be. The pitching plan was perfect. And people say, oh, you took Quintana out too early, et cetera. No, like they did it exactly the way that they had drawn it up the day before or, you know, whenever he and Mike Maddox, uh, Ollie and Mike Maddox got together and said, here's how we want it to play out. It played out literally to a T how they wanted it to. And then Ryan Helsley's finger stiffened up and the rest is history. So the margins, unfortunately, are that slim when you get into a best two out of three series. And you could make the case that, yes, the Cardinals should spend more so that they're able to get out of that situation where you're at least the number one or the number two seed and you get at least to the the round of uh, where you're playing best of fives. But they didn't do that. And, and and I think it was very flukish the way they went out because they they put the ball into the hand of the, the guy that had gotten them there all season long and it did not go their way because of kind of a fluke thing. So I, I that was that was the, the little spiel I wanted to give about the playoffs because I at the time it kind of felt like this catastrophic failure, but you also just had to sit back and realize like it was such a small margin that cost them that first game. And then maybe momentum is completely different and they they're able to win that series, but they didn't. And uh, now they sort of have to have that in, in the backdrop of what they're looking to do moving forward in 2023. Yeah. It did feel like if they got to the game, you know, if they win game one, even if they lose game two, they probably win game three. Yeah. I think so too, um, based on the way the pitching was going to set up yeah, for that as well. Yeah. And I mean, you also, you know, to some degree it, it made me at least feel a little bit better to see Philadelphia go all the way to the World Series, right? I mean, this is a team that got hot. Now, to, to some degree, they got hot at the benefit of the Cardinals, but, you know, it was a team that they could have beaten. But you also, you know, you start thinking, you know, you get your narrative in there and stuff of that nature yeah. like that. So, um, the, I mean, the Braves are a really good team. The Bra- And, you know, they right. had to beat good teams after that, and they slugged their way to it, and they had two elite pitchers. Like, they they were built really soundly and then they added Trey Turner this off season. So yeah. there's no, there's no doubt about it. It was a quality team. If you're going to lose to somebody, it, it you don't feel bad about that one. I, I don't, I don't think so as much. I mean, again, it's frustrating because they could have, but it's not, well, they've had worse uh, playoff losses, I guess. It's not like they that. lost to the like 2006 Cardinals getting in there with 86, 83 wins. Right. Very true. Very <laughs> Although true. that roster was really good and got healthy yeah. at the right time. So there, there's that, some that of that that goes good. into it too. Yeah. I mean, you just, I mean, and that's, that is the deal that is probably, it's, it's very difficult to build a team that can be very, very good for 162 and very, very good for, you know, short series um, at the same way. Because, I mean, I think that's some of what we've seen with the Dodgers, right? The Dodgers have put together a team that's very, very good all, all year long, but then they have trouble getting all the way through the, to the, to win the World Series. It's, it's yeah, that's two, tricky two though. Things. There's a lot of good teams in baseball. Like, can we yeah. can we make that acknowledgement? Like, the Dodgers are loaded. And what have the Padres done in their division? They've loaded up even more this mm-hmm. offseason. They, they, they're they trading for Juan Soto for the next few years. And then they figure they'll get Tatis Jr. back. And he's a guy that didn't play at all last year for that team that upended the Dodgers when you got to a short series in the playoffs. And the, so it's like, those are two really, really good teams. The Braves are doing some incredible things. Like every time they they sign a new young player to an extension, everybody's like, how did they pull that off? Like, how did they get that guy to agree to it? They're so loaded and they've got more to spend and they've traded for Sean Murphy. Like there are some really, really good teams in, in both the NL West and the, the NL East. That's to say nothing of what the Mets have done, which is just spend their way to hopefully a really good roster uh, as far as they're concerned. Like the Cardinals are a little bit fortunate. They're playing in the Central where nobody's, Nobody's doing what those teams on on the coast are doing in terms of spending at this point. But also what that means is if you're the third best division winner, you still got to deal with that two out of three. So it's kind of an interesting balance that they have to figure out. Do you think, and you're talking about, you know, Bill DeWitt has kind of said, we're doing fine um, with our, our plans and, and our policies and not really necessarily looking to, to, to veer from those. Do you think that would have changed if the Cardinals were in the East or the West in having to play these juggernaut teams or have to at least compete with them on a, on a regular basis? Honestly. Yeah. I think they would have to be a little more open to the idea of some of like the new age things that are happening with like baseball contracts. Like when you get these 10 years, 11 years, 12 year deals that some of the teams like the, the the Phillies are willing to dole out. And obviously the Mets tried to do it with Correa and then that ended up not, not happening due to his health situation. And, you know, teams uh, teams on the West Coast are, are are in tune with that kind of stuff, too. Like the Cardinals, could you ever imagine the Cardinals giving out a 10-year deal? I can't because they just, it's just not been the way they've operated. And they, 
it always feels like Cardinals fans know almost two years in advance what the team needs to do, but sometimes the team, knowing it as well, needs to sort of ease into it a little bit more and, and use it as a last resort. Like, they always wanted to get Paul Goldschmidt on board. They always wanted to get Nolan Arenado on board, but you've got to do it at a price point that isn't going to come along with the risk of mortgaging the future. And fortunately for the Cardinals, you know, teams like the Rockies are, are so poorly run that eventually you were able to say, hey, listen, we'll take this contract off your hands, uh, but here's here's what it's going to take. And, and, and Mo deserves a lot of credit for figuring out how to pull off really both of those trades. Like the, the Goldschmidt one, uh, before it, those, those guys were obvious Cardinals from afar. And now that they're on the team, it feels like they've always been here because they fit so well with the way the Cardinals like to do things. But if the Cardinals were in the East or the West, like Bill DeWitt does like to win. And I don't think he's been forced into a situation where he's had to grapple with being the third best team going into a season because of a couple of juggernauts in your division. Like the Cardinals can look around and go, all right, the Brewers, we figured them out last year, and they haven't really gotten better in the offseason. The Cubs, you know, they're, they've they added some pieces, but they still might be a year or two away yet from really getting their young core kind of that next wave through for Chicago. And the Pirates, that's not happening. The Reds are maybe a, a bigger problem than the, the Pirates as an organization right now with all the things that their, their president and the, the owner's son is going out and saying. So the Cardinals are, are kind of lucking out in that way where they can look around and go, yeah, the urgency just isn't really there. But honestly, the, the part where it's hard to square that circle is to look at it and say, you're almost admitting like by default that you're going to be the third best division winner in the league. Right. And that does in, in the modern era, that does come with uh, consequences of having to play that short series. And, and DeWitt talked about it at winter warmup where he said, you know, well, the reason we we didn't get it done was kind of flukish. We got into that short series. And of course, anything can happen there. He kept saying, you know, we our goal is to just, you know, to get in the playoffs. And Cardinals fans can harp on that and say, your goal should be to win the World Series. Your goal should be to win the division, you know, whatever. Like Nolan Arenado last year said, I want to win the division. That was a goal that he had, and it meant a lot to him. But, like, I think we we have to look at it and say, all right, if you're, if you're going to admit that that two out of three series is kind of a situation you'd like to avoid, being the best of a of a down NL Central division doesn't accomplish that anymore, especially with the more balanced schedule. You don't get to beat up on those teams. You're only going to play each of them 12 times a year instead of 18 or 19. And the, that that could end up having an impact on on what the records look like a little bit, right? So I think it's really interesting to, to, to know that, like, all right, ownership wants to win. They really do. But they haven't been forced into a spot where they want to change their model necessarily, even though they're acknowledging that those those best two out of three situations aren't very good to be involved in. But I think it's just such a hard mental hurdle to get over when you can look at your division and say, yeah, we're, we're probably going to win this thing. And it's not worth it to get to an uncomfortable area where by doing it, we could end up three, four, five years down the road in a situation that a, we haven't been in for 20 years because we've been so sustained in our success and be a situation that we really want to avoid because uh, you know, the implications on on what a, a losing season would look like for Cardinals fans. Nobody wants to experience the rebuild or endure that sort of thing. And to their credit, they've done a great job in this ownership group and under Mo to, to never have to do that. So it is impressive, but they are kind of caught in between in many years where uh, they're not able to quite get over that hump. And it feels like they're going into any October with a little bit of a, a disadvantage because of some of the, the really good teams that exist within the rest of the, the league. Yeah, I mean, it would seem to me that if you're if if you're gonna concede that you might be playing that first round game, and I mean, some, somebody's got to play it, right? I mean, you could have three division winners that win a hundred games. Somebody's going to play that. Someone's going to be lesser, yeah, right. But you know, you if you want to win a hundred games, then you just you just deal with it. You know, the Cardinals are not looking to win a hundred games right now. Um, so it would think that you know this off season you go and say, okay, we've got a team that can get there but maybe we need that ace at the top of a staff to, you know, give you that, you know, maybe one, two punch if, if Flaherty's back or, you know, or whatever Miles Michaelis has or whoever the case may yeah. be, you go out and get that because that gives you, you know, a chance to win in the short term versus as well as the long term. Um, and it's, I mean, and those, it feels like to me again, and you, you can correct me if I'm wrong, cause I probably am. Um, but this team doesn't feel like it needs to go out and spend, two or three hundred million dollars on on players you know one big addition 
probably doesn't necessarily break the bank. They're not that close to the um, tax thresholds and they're not deals that, you know, four or five years from now, some of these other, some of this other money's off the books. And I don't know, you know what I'm saying? It feels like to some degree they're pushing off the future by saying, well, this is what it is now when there's a lot of variables between now and five years from now. I think the Cardinals are almost never going to pay market value for the superstar. Hmm. Or they're not going to, maybe a better way to say it is they're not going to pay the sticker price because sometimes the sticker price, what you actually have to pay to get the guy is right. more than what the, the real value of that guy is or ought to be in a, in a fair standard market. But like there's a premium on elite talent and, and the premium that we saw across baseball this off season for the most part was, Hey, you're going to have to suck it up and be willing to go 10, 11, 12 years to get the elite of the elite player because that's what teams are willing to do. So if you want to be one of the teams that can land that kind of player, you have to kind of get with the times and be willing to do that. It just isn't a consideration for the Cardinals. I think DeWitt and, and the ownership group and the front office sits back and goes, that's just not, I mean, it's a non-starter when you're seeing some of those types of contracts. And the reason I believe that is because there was a contract signed this offseason that I, that I think comes in a notch below some of those big, massive deals on a player that the Cardinals absolutely could have used to your point about trying to find a front end of the rotation kind of guy and lock that kind of player up. Carlos Rodon signed for six years with the New York Yankees, $162 million. That's a big contract. It would have been double the biggest contract the Cardinals have ever doled out in free agency to a non, to a guy who had not played before on the Cardinals. I get it. But that being said, like lefty power pitcher, pretty young by free agency standards, there's a lot to like about a guy like Carlos Rodon. Get you some strikeouts in that rotation. Yeah, sure, you think Jack Flaherty can be that guy from the right side, maybe if he's healthy, but also he's going to be gone after this year. Like, he's a free agent to be. So you've got all those questions about the rotation for 2024 where it's just Steven Matz that's under contract right now of your projected top five. There's, you know, there, there's some concern to be had about that. So the fact that they... Balked, obviously they balked at whatever the, the Carlos Rodon price point ended up being because they didn't sign him. But something else that led me to believe that that's true is Bill DeWitt this weekend. I for, And I wish I had the, the exact quote of what he said, but when he was discussing like the way the pitching market developed over the winter, he said, you know, he said it got kind of crazy or kind of wild or whatever term he used. I don't, don't quote me on exactly what the word was, but his demeanor in the way that he said it was very clear that his thoughts were like, Yep, that got to a point where we weren't going to go. And I thought that was interesting because I never saw that about the pitching market this offseason. Like, Carlos Rodon, I think that's a good good price point. Like, not surprising that the big star pitcher goes to the Yankees because they needed a guy. But the price that they paid was kind of honestly less than I anticipated that it would be. Like, doing some quick math here, six years and $150 million, that'd be 25 per year. They they were at 162 so that's, you know, like 27 per year. Mm. I know it's a big number, but... That's a really good, a really good pitcher, and the Cardinals could have used a guy like that. But the Cardinals, where they get in is we can get the guy for less via trade, like a Goldschmidt, and then we'll pay him because he wants to be here. Same thing with Arenado. His contract's already what it is, but when he has a chance to opt out, first of all, we trade for him, and, and they, they pay us for the pleasure of taking the guy away. <laughs> and then when when it's time to opt out of the contract, he doesn't do it, even though he probably knows he could have made more money, even though like those big deals hadn't been signed yet at that point in the off season, by the time that he said, no, I will commit again to the Cardinals. And now there's no more opt out. Thank goodness. That's the last one. Yeah. We never have to talk about it again, but like Arnold probably knew he could have gotten more money. I even was saying like in October when everybody was asking Arnold, is he going to opt out? What's it going to be? I'm like, well, he's not going to opt out guys. I was, I was, you know, and I wasn't the only one, but I was very confident in in public about like, no, any podcast I did, I don't think he's going to opt out. I think it's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. But as it got to it, I was like, you know, he may need to get that deal restructured a little bit because it's right. obvious he'd be leaving money on the table if he didn't. And the fact that that wasn't even part of it tells you, all right, the Cardinals know that they've got a guy who wants to be a Cardinal. Same with Goldsmith. Like, this is their model of doing it. Wilson Contreras is literally a great example of that because when the Contreras contract came out, Daniel, what did you think of the numbers? Because I thought, huh. That's pretty good. Like they got an extra year basically for the amount that I thought it would be. It's like they got, yeah. they, bought, they bought four years and got one free. So like another example of a guy who wants to be there and that's why they're able to maybe not pay that sticker price for the talent that they get. And that's the way they want to go about and do things. But that means you're limiting your player pool of, of guys that are options 
to the guys who are desperate to come play for the St. Louis Cardinals. And there's enough of those to keep competitive, clearly, because it's happened, you know, three of the last five years or whatever that they've been able to do this. But that being said, like, you're you're limiting the player pool of some of these superstars that, that are going to go elsewhere for kind of those exact reasons. Yeah. Yeah, I I gotta say, anytime the anytime a free agent signs for under hundred million dollars, I feel like it's a deal. I don't it's just the way that the way that things get put out there these days. So yeah, see Contreras come in there was a little bit surprising. Um, it's also a little bit surprising to think that that's the, not surprising because you understand, but still kind of strange that that's eighty seven point five million is the biggest non cardinal free agent out there. You know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. Um, that that seems awful low when you, especially when you're talking about you know a couple three hundred million dollar contracts. But that's the and that's the way they did it. And honestly, Contreras was similar to the last, you know, the Mike Leak and the Dexter Fowler deals were the two that mm-hmm. that the Contreras deal barely beat out. Those were both around eighty million, right. and both of those were guys the Cardinals had to settle on later in an off season when they didn't get their first choice. And I would make the case that. It, that was sort of the way it went this offseason with Contreras. Not that they didn't want Contreras, but they were really preferring to make a trade, I think, for a catcher instead of go the free agent route. But they were trying to do the buy low thing where you send, no offense to him, but Austin Gomber and a bunch of random dudes to get the best third baseman in baseball. Like they were hoping to do the catcher version of that. And Oakland, it's as if Oakland looked at it and said, you, how did you get Arenado? Like, we're not letting you do that. We're going to triple the asking price of what this actually should be. Like, look at what they got from the Braves and the Brewers for that three-team deal that that sent Sean Murphy away. They didn't get a whole lot. They didn't get that reported major league talent that they that they wanted from the Cardinals. So that's why the, the trade wasn't able to work out. But the Cardinals did have a guy that I still think is a, a pretty good hitter, should be a solid catcher for years to come, and, of course, really wanted to be here. So they got a good deal on him, and that's kind of the way it has to shake out in order for the Cardinals to get their guy, I think, in a, in a given offseason. So if you... If you if you're gonna follow this and and that's it's absolutely fair because that's the way Cardinals have done that. Who is who's that next guy like that? Who's the guy out there? Like you said earlier, Arenado and Goldschmidt felt like Cardinals even before they became the St. Louis. Is there a guy out there that would seem to be a Cardinal? He just hasn't made it here yet. That's a great question. If he weren't if it weren't so tricky because of the the division that he already plays in, I would be I would be pounding the, the Brian Reynolds table, which I've already been doing because I think he's a really talented player. Uh, but Brian Reynolds is an outfielder for the Pirates, and the, I could see the Pirates having that same mindset where it's like, listen, which is weird because the Pirates are, are saying we need all of this for Brian Reynolds, which is understandable. He's a really good player, and he's still only 27 years old, about to turn 28 before the season, but that's still, you know, prime age. Right. But but they reportedly offered him an extension that was like, yeah, you don't seem to value him the way that you should. Like (laughs) those two things don't match up with what you're trying to say. Hey, we won't we won't trade him away for less than this, but we'll offer him kind of a low ball offer to to extend him long term. I don't know enough about the personality of Brian Reynolds to to make this claim, but I feel like the kind of the way he plays uh, to me, he's just like a stone cold killer and just goes about his game the right way. So I, I don't know for me, Brian Reynolds is a name that sticks out. I don't know how likely it is to happen because of the, the issue of him being on the pirates and the Cardinals, you know, would the pirates want to trade him in the division. They probably don't care because they know they're not going to be good for a couple of few years yet. They got to rebuild again, but the Cardinals might say, I don't want to give you Dylan Carlson or Nolan Gorman or, you know, whatever it might take because I'll have to face that guy for five years and he'll, he'll crush us. So, Brian Reynolds is the first guy that comes to mind. If you've got any other names you you think fit that, let me know, because this is not a question I thought of, but I think it's a very interesting question. Uh, and, and I guess it's hard to do the game because now that Arenado is here, like it's very obvious now that we've gotten to talk to him and ask him these questions that have opened up our minds to the fact that, oh, it should have been obvious the whole time. Like, was it obvious back then? No, honestly, like, it was obvious that it would make sense, but did, did we any of us ever think that the Cardinals would actually get Nolan Arenado? I remember seeing the news drop that it that it had happened, and I think I said some expletives because I was so surprised. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, holy smokes! Like I just, it was so shocking that they actually pulled it off, knowing how how big of a, a face of the game he is. But now we know that this is his nitty gritty style. He wanted to be a Cardinal, and. It's hard to know, you know, the, the personality of a guy that 
Arnado probably knows who the next one is because he's probably texted him about it already. But we <laughs> out, out in public, no, we don't really know for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's it'll be. We also like you're saying with Oakland though. I mean, unless you can get a team over a barrel, which they kind of did with Colorado and, and pretty much did with I guess with Arizona. I mean, people have got to look at these deals and say, look, we're not. You're not giving up anything. I mean, maybe they look then at the Marcelo Zuna trade and say, well, maybe you'd will. Uh, you know, it's kind of a boomer bust type of situation. Yeah, no kidding. Him. I mean, the Cardinals, they lost that one unequivocally, but that's, you know, they got desperate. They got, yeah. we could, we could go through the way they got desperate that offseason because Stanton was, you know, they were going to go for Stanton. That, that was when evidently they were willing to bet big on a guy, which, like, looking at it now, don't we all agree that Stanton wouldn't have been the guy to bet big on? Like, just based mm-hmm. on his longevity and th- those sorts of things, like Arenado, if you, if you kind of could pick one or the other, I think you're taking Nolan 10 times out of 10. But they were at that point in time so desperate to have that impact bat in the outfield that they were going to do it. He didn't want to come here. Okay, the Brewers say, or pardon me, the, the Marlins say they're not trading Christian Yelich. Yelich would have been the guy to get. And the Cardinals were like, well, they won't trade him, but they've got this Ozuna guy, and he hit a bunch of home runs last year. So, you know, maybe we just do that. And little did they know, they just had sort of misidentified the the hierarchy of the pitching prospects that they had at the time, which is not to diminish Dakota Hudson or even Jack Flaherty, who I think from a talent standpoint is is as good as as Alcantara, uh, Sandy Alcantara or, or Zach Gallen, but it's like he hasn't been healthy, and so that's kind of another flukish way that that hasn't worked out. But you you would certainly at the time go, oh, yeah, well, at least they protected Hudson and Flaherty, and now we look at it and go, oh, Sandy just won a Cy Young, and Zach Gallen has had his own health concerns but is a, a strikeout pitcher of the ilk that the Cardinals don't really have in their rotation. So, yeah, that one, they got desperate. They had said at the end of season press conference, we're getting an outfielder and whoops, that was maybe, maybe a thing that you don't do because, you know, then you have to stick with it because there's a a public expectation at that point. Yeah. And it feels like right now, like you said, they didn't go after Carlos Rondon and it felt like in part because they feel like they've got six pitchers. It's not necessarily about the quality. It's about, there's not a spot. The bodies are there. Yeah. Right. And the outfield is the same way. I mean, you're talking about Brian Rondon's. I, you know, I would say that probably one of their drawbacks would be, hey, we've got three outfielders, plus we've got, you know, Alec Brolson, and then they've got to figure out what we're going to do with Jordan Walker, and we just can't afford to put another body into that mix. Yep. I, I don't know if that's the best way to approach it when you look, especially on the pitching side of things. But I guess, I mean, in some ways, it at least keeps you from those mid-level guys, if nothing else, right? Yeah, I mean, you should still be looking for stars. To, it's hard not to approach it that way if you can't figure out a way to trade the excess for at least something like I thought that this offseason it would have been perfect for the Cardinals to trade some of those you know from the glut whether it's middle infield glut or outfield glut or uh pitching glut where you as we say they've got the the extra bodies so there's not spots but are they the guys that you're really wanting to bank on I don't know that they're the guys that the Cardinals were desperate to bank on but let's if you're floating Tyler O'Neill or like it doesn't matter who the name is if you're floating a guy in trade talks and other teams are saying we yeah we're we're good on that we don't we don't need to send away a piece of fair value like what it would take to get a Tyler O'Neill or whoever it would be or you know maybe on the pitching side it would have been Dakota Hudson because that would be the easy one to say because from the outside perspective he's the guy that was in the rotation lost his job toward the end of the year it is from a math standpoint the odd man out going into spring it doesn't mean it's going to play out that way but that's the way a lot of you know a lot of people kind of have it pegged just based on on reading those tea leaves but the Cardinals, I I think personally, and this is just kind of some speculation and form speculation, I think the Cardinals tried to make some of those types of deals. But every time they would say, here's the guy that we could give you, the team would the other team would come back and say, Okay, we'll take a guy of that position group, but we'd rather have this guy. Like we'd rather have Lars Nupar. And the Cardinals were like, Well, that kind of defeats the entire purpose for us. We're we're building around him. And so teams, I think, were wise to maybe what the Cardinals were looking to do. Again, this is speculation, but I think it's kind of, if you can connect those dots from the outside, it kind of makes sense that, yeah, teams might have been wise to what the Cardinals were, who the Cardinals were looking to offload, not because they're bad players, but just because strategically it was a better fit to maybe trade the guys that aren't as cost-controlled or, you know, whatever the case might be. And I think it just didn't end up working to where they've got all the same guys that they had, like, I don't know if that's a Mosaic thing. I don't really think it is in and of itself. I think it's a combination of of factors. But like a Preller 
for instance, for San Diego, mm-hmm. I don't think would have a lot of problems just like wheeling and dealing because he'd be like, yeah, you know, it, it takes money to make money. So it, it, you got to make some trades to sort of shake up the roster. And I think the Cardinals, the way they churn through their roster, it's a lot more deliberate, uh, the pace of it. You don't always see those trades being made because, yeah, if you're John Mosley, like you remember the trades that burned you and you don't necessarily want to do another Randy Arena trade. But honest right. to goodness, it was almost like the Randy Arena trade is the deal they needed to make this, this you know, offseason. Mm-hmm. A guy who's on the 40-man roster, but you don't think he has a future, so you're going to trade him for a guy like a Libertor or a prospect that isn't, that, that you clear up a spot. They needed a couple of those kinds of roster churn trades, and they didn't make them, which makes going into spring training really, really interesting. Because, of course, at winter warm-up, you're getting some great reports from Dakota Hudson. Dusty Blake has changed the way he views the game of baseball, and he's going to be he's going to be improved. Like that, very well may be the case. And you know, Tyler O'Neill is 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 healthy and feeling strong, and has been doing durability exercise. He's still lifting weights, of course. He said, "I still got to be me," but he's doing things that are supposedly going to help his durability. Like Tyler O'Neill was top ten in the MVP vote two years ago. Like, there's a world in which it makes sense that the Cardinals didn't sell low on these guys. Right, because we've seen them right. sell low on certain players in the past, and then what happens? They go off for other teams. Would it shock anybody if Tyler O'Neill has a great season if he's healthy? Probably not. And so maybe the Cardinals really do view it that way. They view Dakota Hudson as a guy that is still a young guy, and, and maybe another year removed from Tommy John. Like there, there are dots to be connected everywhere. Where you say, "Hey, the guys that they have are pretty good," so they didn't want to sell low on them. But from from just like uh, we're trying to make these these square pegs fit into the round holes of of a roster. You can look around and go, man, there are some moves that they could have made, and they're, they're, they kind of feel a little bit like a glut, a little stuck right now going into spring. I can see that perspective. I see both sides of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't I haven't sat down to, you know, work the numbers or anything like that, but it feels like you're right, that there's a there's a crunch. I mean, how are you going to get all these guys? I mean, does does this mean that Alec Burleson has to go back to Memphis, even though he tore up Memphis last year, um, you know, just because you want to carry Paul DeYoung? Um, you know, that kind of thing, you know, how do you, how do you use Dakota Hudson if he's not your fifth starter? Um, you know, it's a lot of, should be a lot of interesting decisions to make out of spring training, but you know, it's still, it's also, is it, you know, you're talking about a, you know, a mid-grade turn, you know, will, will one decision really make that much of a difference? Um, I I don't know. I think that's going to be interesting to see. Yeah. And, and you can kind of, boil it down like with the pitching situation if they had fewer than five or let's say if they had just five guys where it's like yep those are the five everything's good and then kind of a glut of guys after that where you go well there's not really a lot of experience there maybe a Jake Woodford can emerge maybe an Austin Gomber could emerge like thinking back to past spring trainings this year they've got six that have had significant experience in a starting role mm-hmm. and Daniel I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. One of them will be lost for the season by the end of February. It will. I'm not. I'm not saying it might happen. I'm saying it will happen for sure. And if if I'm wrong, then we can just say, oh, thank goodness, that's such a, a fortunate situation that it didn't happen that way. Wainwright over uh, the weekend at Winter Warmup said, you know, not to be c- kind of crass about it, but these things sort of work themselves out. You're not rooting on anybody to get injured, but it just it. He's seen enough baseball to know the same thing that I've seen. It's going to happen. So it is a benefit if you, but only if you trust that Dakota Hudson is going to be a good, uh, you know, con- contributor to your rotation when that that time comes. I think hopefully based on some of the offseason changes that he's made, that ends up being the case. But like you could look at it from that positive standpoint of hey, at least you've got that luxury, and then it's the Palantes and the Woodfords and those guys behind the Libertors that, okay, they're not super proven in those roles, but you've got maybe one extra guy before you have to start dipping into those those class of, of pitchers in terms of rotation stuff. And then outfield, I think it's, yeah, it's interesting because Jordan Walker's going to play. I don't know if he's going to be like out of spring training on the roster, but it's not going to take long because I think he's just going to be a dude, which is going to be a positive thing, right? So, that maybe puts the Cardinals in position to make a Harrison Bader-like trade in the middle of the season if they feel comfortable with where they are at outfield. But there's, it's very interesting because at almost, not every position, but at a lot of these spots, you go, there's a guy with potential there. He's got a ceiling, but there's also a floor that's pretty low, whether because of injury or because of 
in like the case of a Dylan Carlson last year, performance against right-handed pitching wasn't good. So like you know that the floor is there and the bottom could drop out on a given player. But I think they feel like even though the offseason didn't go exactly the way they wanted it to with some of the, the minor tweaks and trades that maybe would have made the roster make more sense heading into day one of spring training, they've got enough guys that if 50% of them meet the expectation or come close to it or whatever, then they're in a pretty good spot with being able to uh, to have some quality depth, I think, going into the year. And, I mean, it's not exactly the way we as fans would like them to approach this. But given the fact that the division is weaker, they have the time to figure out who's going to hit the, you know, who's going to actually make that step forward and who's not, who's going to hit that floor. Yeah. And then try to make that adjustment, you know, come June or July, well, July 30th. Um, but, and, you know, and, and hopefully not get too far behind. Um, you know, if you were playing in a division where you expected to be, you know, somebody that could be battling it out with you all the way down the, all the way to June, you, you couldn't necessarily do that. You have to improve early. Right. But they have that luxury. And, and I guess that's a good thing for them to be able to figure out. They don't have to necessarily cast Dakota Hudson aside immediately. They could see if these adjustments make, make sense for him. Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of truth to to what you said there. The one thing I'll say is, if I don't push back on it a little bit, I think there are fans out there who would go, dude, we do this every six months. We go through the off season and say, well, at least they can fix it in July. And then in July, we go, well, they, they can save that for the off season." And then it's like you keep kicking that can down the road, and it feels like nothing ever gets done. Obviously, that's not true because Nolan Arenado is a Cardinal. Paul Goldschmidt is a Cardinal. Wilson Contreras is a Cardinal. It just doesn't happen. Like the Cardinals model is to not have all the things happen at once. And so we've never seen the off season or the trade deadline where they really go all in and say, now we're ready to go. They, they do things gradually. And I think we've seen enough six month periods go by that we can almost just concede. Like it's by design. They do this by design yeah. because that's the way they feel most comfortable. Don't, don't have one period, whether it's, trade deadline period in July or off season period prior to prior to a spring training. Don't go berserk in one given time frame where if the three, four major moves you made at once all go sour on you, then suddenly you're in, you know, a situation where it, it may be several years that you're paying for those decisions. I think they do try to be a little bit more deliberate and they're going to, they would take it, Daniel, they would take it if it happened two or three at a time, if it's the Wilson deal, which they knew was one they wanted and then the trade that they do in conjunction with that, you know, was the one they wanted. They just don't want to, I don't think, feel desperate about any of the moves in order to, uh, you know, try to try to say, oh, we've got to do it all right now. And fans want to see it all right now. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of good reasons for that because it feels like, gosh darn, if you just do it that way once, you might find that it, it gets you to a World Series. But I they're just always going to be a little more pragmatic than that for better or worse. And the answer might be worse. Um, yeah. Mo said at, at winter warmup this weekend, he said like, we didn't really candidly engage too much in the starting pitching market. And maybe that's something that six months to a year from now, we're looking back and saying that was a mistake, but we're hoping that we don't look at it that way. Like <laughs> they, they know the, the talk that's out there and what, what outsiders think the team ought to be doing, but they view it differently and and that's a bet that they're making and one that I think they they will have to end up being you know graded upon like did it work out or did it not and I'm just saying when it didn't be able to to cite your sources and say hey back at that winter warm-up you said you know this was the bet you're making what's the fallout from the fact that it didn't work out and now it's 2024 and y'all have one starting pitcher under contract <laughs> those kinds of things are are where I think fans could form pretty good arguments if they want to say, you know, just hold them to the things that they're saying, not whatever standard that you think that y you should be having, even though they didn't kind of commit to doing it that way. Speaking of that one starter that's still under, do you think they extend at least one one of these starters in spring training? Probably every... so. I would think so. I, I think Michaelis is the obvious one, mm -hmm. right? Like he's from yeah. Jupiter. He's happy with the Cardinals. I think the Cardinals are happy with him at this point in time. Like I know he had the couple of years of injuries and and they didn't get their money's worth in those those years, but I mean he's kind of hard to argue with when he's healthy. So it's going to depend on the number and and Miles. Again, he may be a guy that he's happy to just go ahead and sign a couple two three year deal just to not have to think about it. 
Or he may say, I, I saw, you know, the money Justin Verlander got for a short contract or, or the money that Max Scherzer got for a short contract. And I, I think I could play out this year, be an all-star again, and then maybe make even more on a, on a four or five year deal, really cash in. So I don't know exactly the way that's going to be approached, but I think he would make the most sense of all of them. I like Montgomery, but I was almost a little surprised by his jump to $10 million through the, uh, the art process. I don't, I don't really know based on like that. It sounds like to me, an extension would be relatively costly, at least more so than I would have expected. And so maybe that's why he didn't get one to this point. Like, and again, Mo said they were worried about the arbitration stuff. And so not a lot of focus on the notion of extensions, but all stuff that they can look ahead to in, in Jupiter and see if they want to want to get something like that done. But to me, it would make sense to over the next, uh, you know, eight months would make sense to extend a guy like Michaelis and trade for a guy that's got a couple few years of team control. Cause that can get you to at least a place where you're like, all right, we've got Matt's. We've got whatever we think of him, but we've got him. We've got Michaelis. We've got the guy we traded for, whoever it might be. And then we've maybe got some progression from Graceffo or Libertor or McGreevy, you know, whoever it might be. Dakota Hudson, maybe we decide, you know, whatever that is, at least get some sort of foundation down. Because right now there really isn't for, like right now their foundation for a 2024 rotation is the guy that signed didn't pitch last year because of injury. So it's like, uh, (laughs) I don't know about that. Yeah. Maybe not. Uh, speaking of arbitration, the Cardinals settled with almost everybody. Uh, not Ryan Helsley or Henesis Cabrera. Were you surprised about either one of those guys not not agreeing to its terms? Not really. I think that's really more, it just comes down to kind of their agents and the way they want to go about it. Like like Helsley even, uh, Henesis was not at winter warm-up, but Helsley was there and he said, like, you know, I, I honestly don't deal a lot in that. That's all for my agent. And he's it's like Helsley trusts his agent to, to do right by him and get the best deal for him that he can. And so if the agent says, yeah, we're, you know, we're not really going to go with what we were offered here. We're going to take this to the next level. I think Helsley just says, okay, I, you know, I trust that that's what my agent thinks we should do in this spot. And, and I'm not going to worry about it. I didn't get the sense from Helsley that it was like really weighing on his mind a, a ton. Maybe he's got a good poker face, but like you could tell for Tyler O'Neill, for instance, last year that it did weigh on him. And then he admitted it after the fact, after he didn't have a great season and had the injuries kind of crop up on him said that that was something that was on his mind. The difference there, though, was because of the lockout, O'Neill's right. situation extended into the season. So it that won't happen this year, but still, I think, uh, you know, th- there's a reason that, that a guy like O'Neill gets that behind him at this point. And uh, Helsley's situation is, yeah, let's kind of see how it plays out. I don't think it's going to be a big deal, though, for either guy. Yeah, I was just, I was especially surprised with Cabrera, given the way he ended the season, that, um, you know, you might not have the strongest of cases when you go with yeah, I mean, maybe not, but that might be the, the point of his agency is to say, like, all right, the Cardinals are feeling like they can probably lowball us because right. of the way it ended. Whereas we think if we get in front of an arbitration panel, we can say, listen, don't overweight what happened at the end of the season. Look at what he's been. And maybe they'll win that case. Maybe they won't. Uh, you know, I mean, you're talking about a guy who was in the minor leagues at, at some point late last season. So I definitely understand both sides kind of digging in. And, you know, I, if I had to get, again, it depends on what the numbers are. I, and I know right. that's probably out. I haven't even seen where, where the two sides filed on that one. I could see a case where the Cardinals win that bet, though. Yeah, I, did, I don't remember seeing that. I remember the Hell's Lead one was about a million-dollar difference, um, but I don't remember seeing Cabrera. So. Um, but, yeah, that, that's an interesting an interesting idea as well on that. Um, before winter warm-up came along, Matt Holiday decides he's not going to be a bitch coach. Um, yeah. Were you more surprised at that, or were you more surprised that Holiday was going to be the bitch coach to start with? Yeah, I think it's the second one. Um, it's like when it happened, I was like, oh, cool. Like, that's interesting that he wants to do it because everything we had always heard is that he wants, mm. you know, he prioritized family and doesn't want to maybe have the time commitment that would, you know, he's done the full-time major leaguer thing for a long, long time, and he, he's he got a lot of money to show for it. And so to, to take on a, a bench coach role that, is the same amount of work and a whole lot less recognition, you know, not to say same amount of work as if you're playing every day, but like it's the schedule is the same. And so it was kind of like, well, I I don't know that I was surprised by it, but I was like, well, that's cool that he, that he changed his tune maybe because Jackson holiday was taken, you know, in the draft and he's, he's done with high school ball. Maybe that was a, a good transition time if he wants to start a coaching career. But then like when, 
when it happens that, no, he's not sticking around and, and not going to do the job, it was like, oh, wow, that's a little bit wild. But then you take five seconds to think about it and you go, yeah, that probably makes sense. He, they, they started getting into the discussion of what the workload would be and like, here's how we plan for spring. He's like, actually, I'm not into this. Never mind. <laughs> so I, it's not that surprising in retrospect. Yeah, I, I agree. I was was more surprised that he would take that on just because, like you said, the family commitments that he seemed to be very, it seemed to be a real high priority for him. So did anything out of what, did, did you get anything out of Winter Warm-Up that you were maybe surprised at or unexpected? I don't know about anything that was too surprising. Uh, there are some things that were interesting. It's interesting to see the way that Mosellock, when he was talking about kind of the, the long range view or like the, the 10,000 foot helicopter view of the, the team in the season, when he says, you know, we've got some, some guys that are on the way, some prospects like Jordan Walker. It's like, yeah, we all know Jordan Walker's coming, but then he mentioned Graceffo mentioned McGreevy in that same breath. So I feel like hmm. that sort of ups the expectation for those guys a little bit to maybe arrive a little sooner than we expected. I thought that was interesting. Um, I thought notable, the Paul DeYoung thing. I don't think Cardinals fans are counting on much from him. They're not wrong for it, but it was interesting to see the way that first Ollie talked about it. And he basically said, like he, he basically acknowledged that he understands what the public sentiment about that situation is. He said, look, we've gone through the song and dance before where Paul DeYoung is making changes and then nothing really is different. And so would I blame people if they didn't really buy into it? Like, yeah, I get it. Here's what I'll say though. This is the first time that I have felt optimistic coming into a season that the changes he's making are actually going to make a difference. So Ollie seemed genuine in the way that he said that. We'll see if it ends up being uh, the case. Paul DeYoung's change that he's making is to get rid of the leg kick in his batting stance, simplify things a little bit. And we did try to dig in on him a little bit in the, the media session of for Paul DeYoung, where it's like, okay, you've talked about making changes before. Why is this different? And he described that in the past, you know, the changes he was making it maybe was a little bit too much, just kind of all over the place, not as focused. And that led to his mind, in his words, his mind and his body were not synced up on any of those changes to where it was like, yeah, we're saying we're making changes, but then you sort of, you don't have it committed to muscle memory. You're not focusing on like one specific thing that you think could be a drastic change. You're just trying to, to throw the book at everything all at once. And it just results in nothing really happening. The, the leg kick thing he seems to think is going to be the difference that it, that it needs to be. Your mileage may vary on that, but I thought that was interesting in the fact that the manager of the team who I, I do consider to be a good communicator and a guy who's he, he's going to, he's not going to BS you really very often. Mm. He's going to kind of tell you like the fact that Ollie acknowledged like, yes, I know what the sentiment is on Paul DeYoung. I'm, I get it, but for whatever it's worth, I do think this is the first time that I felt optimistic, which is to say that in, the, in past years, he, he was like, okay, sure. Paul DeYoung, we'll see whatever's different this year. Maybe it manifests. Maybe it doesn't. Hopefully so. Um, well, we will see, though, um, I, and that's another one of those things that I don't know that we'll be able to tell until into the season, right? I mean, it, I feel like even if Paul Young has a good spring, that I'm not necessarily sold on that until yep. it's a good. You, you got to play games, game. and you got to play games that are that are real games, <laughs> and then we'll then we'll see. So we've we've hit about our hour. Um, I, as you look forward to 2023. I mean, when you do go down to Jupiter for that week, what's something that you're going to be trying to focus on? Uh, from a coverage standpoint or yeah. like just my, my kind of world. I mean, I, I noticed in Either. your, uh, in your, you, you do your top cards on Twitter that uh, mm -hmm. I forget what month that, that happens in, December. but on there you wrote a little blurb and you said, Brendan actually did his podcast more regularly this year. Good for him. And so that'll be something that I, I kind of consider it the new season of B-Shape Daily when spring training starts. And I try to get, you know, regularly doing it. And like you do, I, is usual like a once a week sort of mm -hmm. bid? Is that the way you, yeah. but you go an hour and it's a little more in depth? For me, I do. I think there's there's a place in the market to do a, a shorter burst kind of podcast on a more daily basis to kind of get people that, you know, want to be in tune with what's going on day to day people that like the minutia of it. Like some people say that's too much for me, but there are people who say, Oh, I love that you are doing this on a daily basis. That's really cool to have that throughout the season, make it part of my routine. The one thing I should do though, Daniel, what m allows me to do it more frequently is to not have it go 45 minutes to an hour. I really need <laughs> to be willing some days to say, if all I've got to give is 20 minutes, do 20 minutes and mm -hmm. live to fight another day. 
So I want to do regularly on on the podcast because I am I, I technically did start the Patreon uh, late in last year, but it has not been enough of a priority. Part of that has been the the new baby has made that a little bit difficult. Um, but I want to kind of hit both of those things hard because I think that's an important part of what I can what I can bring for people. So uh, I want to be able to, to to demonstrate that value, and then uh, maybe people will agree that it is worthwhile and uh, might add some subscribers over there. That's maybe part of uh, what I'm looking to start with for uh, for spring training down in Jupiter. Sounds good. Sounds good. And we look forward to seeing it. Um, yeah, I can't imagine trying to do and you know, for me listening to podcasts, I can't listen to an hour a day because I just don't have that kind of transit time. So yeah, it's another I'd good point. Like if it's going to be behind. daily, go ahead. Like some people say, Oh, I like the long one because my, my commute's 42 minutes. Like, okay, not everybody's is going to be. So I, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, I, I think there's value to just saying, all right, Hey, here's what's going on with the team today. Let's, let's take a look and, and see what you think about it. And, I always tell people too, I'm at B Schaefer 12 on Twitter, direct message me and tell me that I suck and my idea was bad. I should do it this way. Like I love getting feedback because it, you know, if enough feedback piles up, then maybe those people are onto something. So you, you take that to heart sometimes. Maybe I, I keep t- sending him those messages, but he just ignores me. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're blocked. I mean, that's different. That's different. Oh, that's true. That's true. I forgot. Okay. <laughs> Oh, Brendan, it's been it's been great having you on. Um, I appreciate you joining me and uh, look forward to your coverage, not only from Jupiter for, for the whole year. So uh, and we'll do it again, if, if not next year, maybe even before then. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Appreciate you having me on. All right. Well, and then uh, it'll be another week or so uh, a week from Friday. We'll have uh, Katie Wu joining us. Um, so, you know, we're just moving up the ladder. There here. you go. Um, I so. knew you had to end on a dig, too. I like it. <laughs> I know it. I know it. Got to, got to keep it uh, real, I guess is what the kids say. I don't know. Um, but until next time for Brendan, I'm Daniel. Good night.